Welcome to the journey of an aesthete, a comprehensive examination of all things aesthetic, the arts, the humanities, and what it means to be human. Hello, is this Teresa Roberts? Yes, Teresa Roberts Logan. Teresa Roberts Logan, I am welcoming you to the podcast Journey of an Esthete. This is Mitch. Thank you so much. It's really exciting to have you on this show for for many reasons. Um, I'm going to just do a little, hopefully, brief introduction and just say uh, uh, how how you came to be on our show was uh, thanks to our producer, Laurie Strickland. Yes. And also, I should say immediately that you are the designer of our logo. Yes, which was such a fun project. In fact, that's such a such a beautiful logo. It's so under the man, the man with the person with the suitcase on the road and the the different signs. And it's uh, actually today I was in a coffee shop of all places, and I was showing that just card to somebody, and they're saying, you know, just because I like this illustration so much, I'm going to give this podcast a listen. So how about that? That's um. Oh, that's pretty great. That makes me feel great. Yeah, but it's interesting. I think that you may be the, a first for us on the show because I think you're the very first stand-up comic or comedian we've had on the show. And that's Oh, that's yeah. cool. And also you excel, of course, going by this, uh, this uh, wonderful illustration you did for us back in 2019 or whatever it was. You are a illustrator, a cartoonist, a comic, uh, in the, uh, both senses of the word, a visual comic book illustrator, and probably there's a bunch of other things I haven't mentioned that you, you'll, you, I'm sure you'll, you'll remind us. <laughs> but generally on our show, I like to do things kind of in a, a little bit of a linear fashion from the beginnings of a person, you know, how they came to do what they do and how you came to go into comedy and, and drawing and illustrating wherever you want to start is your, your call. So, uh, your journey to this point would be great. Okay, great. Do you want me to just start uh, talking about it, or would you uh, about how I got into it all? Or well, yeah, um, I did want to spend time on both because you 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 certainly have more than one career, and you can start wherever, whatever is earliest or most uh, most important or whatever. It's up to you, really. Where you want? Okay, to great. So, um, oh, have, have we started recording? I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> this is the show. Well, uh, well, I have my voice back. I'm really thankful for that. And I appreciate y'all being flexible with me because I uh, went overseas and I came back and I think it was a combo of jet lag and uh, seasonal allergies. But I still have a kind of roughness in my voice, but I, I, I'm fine to speak. So I'll tell you, um, mm-hmm. I love talking. I obviously talk for most of my living, uh, but I got into comedy connected to art, actually. Um, I've always drawn. And I say I love talking, but the, the truth of it is I've realized over the years that I'm actually an introvert. I'm an extroverted introvert who I really gather energy and strength from just sitting and drawing and painting and writing. Like I just like to sit and do those sorts of things. And that really gives me a lot of uh, 
energy and inspiration, I think. Mm -hmm. But I also do love making people laugh. And the way I got into that was I was working at Hallmark Cards as an artist and writer. And may I may I interject to ask you when what years would that would that have been? Because Hallmark, oh my, back in my the day, Hallmark was like the major company for such things, right? They were the company yes, the it was. And when I worked there, uh, gosh, when was it? Like eighty four to eighty seven, I think, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, when I was on staff, there were. 700 artists and writers on staff at Hallmark. And every six months, so there's all these different departments, right? And every six months, um, each department would do a presentation to all the people who had been hired and creative in the last last few months, right? Mm -hmm. So most of the time, every department did sort of this boring slideshow, blah, 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 here's what we do. And we decided that our department was going to do something different. So we improved a game show, and I put on a powder blue leisure suit and slicked my hair back and drew on a mustache and this really can adorable. I, can, I, can I pause you there for a second? I would love to see a picture of that or any documentation. I know, you know, I bet somebody. Be, I, I got to see you. Is this a set like a seventies leisure suit or an eighties? Because there's different. There's different. Um, this wasn't an 80s, 80s pantsuit, right? This was a 70s. It was a powder blue 70s leisure suit. Like, it was an authentic leisure wow. suit. And this, and I should, you know, I'll contact some of the guys from the humor workshop because they had oh, photos yeah. of They had oh, evidence yeah. um, because they had loaned me. The, you're known as the laughing redhead, correct? I just want to yeah. get that out there because that's so people want to come see your shows and you did come just come back from Ireland doing performances just now. So it's, I did, I did a little uh, jet lagged and need to, so we'll go easy on you. You'll (laughs) talk about the humor department and you did this leisure suit. You put on this leisure suit. Well, we did this presentation and we basically improved a game show and we called it, you bet your job. And we would pull people from the audience and make them answer questions and tell them they'd get fired if they didn't answer them. And, and it was just really fun. Mm-hmm. And after the show, and it, we got a lot of laughs. And after the thing, one of the guys from the humor workshop came up to me and he said, have you ever thought of doing stand-up comedy? And I said, no, not really. I said, well, somebody asked me in seventh grade if I'd thought of it, but I really have never, you know, no. Mm-hmm. And he said, I, I really think you ought to consider doing stand-up comedy. So he talked me into going to uh, see some open mic night, mm-hmm. and I thought, hey, I can be that bad. And so um, I wrote my little three minutes and wow. just started getting work from there. I went up and did the three minutes, and I didn't bomb, which I was thrilled about. Um, and, I, you know, for for a while, I thought, I'm going to be the comic who never bombs. But, of course, eventually I, you know, hit some of those nights, too. You know, because that's one of the weirdest things in comedy is how you can do the exact same material for an audience one night and they just treat you like you're the funniest. Oh, you're the comedy queen. Oh, my gosh, we couldn't stop laughing. And then the next night you go to a different audience, you do the exact same thing, mm-hmm. and they're not, they're not buying it. You know, it's one of those things you just really have to. I mean, I'm listening to this account, and you know, I just I just finished watching 
uh, Hacks with Gene Smart. I'm sure you know this about the show or of the show. I, I know about it, but I have not seen it yet. It's really good, but I, you know, of course, I watched that a few a few seasons back, few months back, and of course, the the era that you're starting comedy in was actually kind of an interesting era, right? It was sort of Elaine Boozler comes to mind as a major. She was a a major figure, I think, in that era, and and uh, there was just a lot. Seems like there was a lot going on in comedy. Uh, the there was, had, there was. I mean, she was well known when I was started, and. Uh, you know, Seinfeld was well-known among yep. comics, but he wasn't known For the, to the degree he became known. And it really was the comedy boom. Like, I got into stand-up comedy and the boom. So I was... I hit the road pretty soon. I started getting lots of work and offers for work, and I would go do those, and I would go out on one-nighters and come, you know, get home at 2 a.m. and have to be at my desk at Hallmark, uh, my art table, you know, painting at 8 a.m. So eventually I thought, I'm getting enough work that I had to make a decision. Like, either you're really going to try this comedy thing or you're going to just stay at Hallmark, which were great options. I loved my job at Hallmark. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, I paint, I painted and wrote all day. I mean, that was great. It didn't get paid much, but it was mm-hmm. a job I loved. And I had a lot of friends there. And, um, but I thought I really need to try this comedy thing. So I did. And I left Hallmark and I started out on the road back in the wow. comedy boom. You could put. Oh, wow. I just you could, I'm, I'm blown away. I just got to I mean, if you, if you don't mind indulging me with some stories about those years, just un, you know, unusual venues or just the kind of material you were doing. Probably. I don't know. You were. I'd imagine you probably were drawn from Hallmark in your life, right? Or, or thing, you know, I don't know. Yeah, and just kind of observational stuff. I always, yeah. I always worked clean, pretty clean, and uh, okay. to this day, I still work really pretty clean. Now and then, if I'm, if it's a late night show and something political happened that ticked me off, I'll cuss a little, but right. uh, I still work no, I, pretty I, clean. I should ask because I don't know because I'm a fan of comedy and I've been listening. You know, I'm 55, so I grew up listening to Richard Pryor and George Carlin, of course, and, but as well as uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May, which is and Lenny Bruce and, and people like that. But I don't, I guess clean. I mean, is it uh, would that be considered its own style, its own, its own? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think some people consider it like a whole different thing. And I feel like you should, for me, I've always just done, um, I'm an exaggerated version of me on right. stage, basically. Right. So for me to start cussing a lot, mm-hmm. a whole lot, well, I cuss more now than I ever have in life, just because I can, I guess, right. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but I don't much in my act, you know, I just kind of, um, I don't, I don't naturally just cuss constantly. Yeah. And so in my act, it's kind of an exaggerated version of me, but I just kind of am me up there, but exaggerated. So I guess because I'm one of those people that doesn't have like this separate character that I'm doing up there, you know, I'm not, you know, yeah, I'm that's not really, that's really dressing like something else and being like, I mean, you would recognize me if you saw me in the club after, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, I'm kind of the same. So, um, I mean, I know that, that, um, a a, a young comedian who comes to mind, who sort of talks about being a clean comic, 
I guess would be Steve Holmes is the only name. I, I mean, I don't know if he's considered that anymore but because of his religious background and, and everything. And, and he, uh, he draws I, on that. See, I, I, Steve who? I'm Steve, sorry. Steve I don't Holmes. Uh, I don't so, think I know Pete, Pete Holmes. I'm sorry, Pete Holmes. Because Peter. Oh, Holmes, Pete Holmes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know. I know who he is. Yeah, he talked because I think there might be an interesting overlap. I mean, not because he, you know, he was groomed to be a, a, a fundamentalist youth pastor. I think when he was a teen and. Yeah, I grew up that, in that background too. Yeah, yeah. I gotta talk up. about that. There's so much to talk about. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you're on the road. So the first time you go on the road. What is that like, or what are the venues like, or what kind of, just whatever comes into your mind, you know, just um, anything? Well, it's scary, you know, when you're a young, single woman, I mean, there's just the inherent, regular scariness of women. Mm -hmm. First of all, you're in a very male-dominated field, you're working, and, you know, they're not all very respectful, but most of them were really great and and acted like my big brother, you know, most of them. When people would give you a hard time, and guys did, and all kinds of stuff happened to me on the road, um, usually there was somebody nearby who was a big brother in the situation, you know, or, you know, and I also learned, like, I've also know to just walk away from some stuff. I don't stand there and engage somebody, you know, I I knew that much back then when I would get threatened or grabbed or whatever, you know, there were times when I just had to, you know, I just disengaged and walked away. You know, I didn't stand there and give people attention, you know, but you, you get different kinds of heckling when you're a young woman and when you're just a woman on stage. And even when I, uh, like so, so I'm, I would hit, I hit the road like in my car. I put a thousand miles a week on my car. Well, what kind of? And I, I had what did I had? I had a Dodge Raider back yes. then. Yes. I know it was great. I loved my Dodge what Raider, and um, it was. And so you would just, and it was back before you had, you know, cell phones and GPS. So oh, you yeah. literally had a map out yeah, on the map. seat next to you, finding places, and that was. You know, I did that for years, and and um, the only time I had a hard time finding a place was one time the booker had this run that had, and forgive me if I get them reversed, one was Kirkville, Iowa, and Kirksville, Missouri. Okay. And they were like 35 minutes apart on the map, but he had them switched, and he didn't have the name of the state. So I showed up in Kirkville when I was supposed to be in Kirksville, but I still made the gig. Still okay. figured it out and made the gig. I was I was a little late, yeah, but I got there. But it was funny. Uh, that was one of those things where I pulled up to a place and you just knew there were just going to be guys in the back of the grocery playing checkers. And it was the only building in town. And we went in there and we're like, uh, you know, I have a show. Is there, there's not a show here. <laughs> you know, they're like, no, okay, we've got to go find this place. So I got a hold of the booker. But most of the time, you know, I got pulled over a ton by yeah. policemen because policemen always think if you're 
highway patrolmen and policemen always think if you're leaving a bar at 2 a.m., you're drunk, you know. So I got pulled over a lot, but I was never drunk. So it was always disappointing to them on some level, I think. But Is that disappointing? I was always they, kind of, do, they, do they have to make points or something and go to their com- commander? <laughs> That's what I feel like. I feel like it was such an easy target. I felt like, yeah. you know, they would watch people leaving the bar and then they follow you and photos. pull you over. Most of the time they were real nice to me, though, when they realized uh, no, I said, no, I just had a show there. I'm leaving. And they're like, oh, and they realized real quickly that you hadn't been drinking. So they just said, you know, be on your way. Be safe. Did you ever, um, did you ever get stopped by people who turned out to be fans or said, I saw you in such and such? I'm sure that, I mean, I'm sure were you getting, maybe I'm getting too far ahead, but, um, myself, but you know what I mean? Like things like that, I'm sure. Somebody well, one of the funniest things that I realized, like when I started out, I thought I want to be famous. I want to have a sitcom. This is what I want. This is this. But as time went on, I realized like, you know, people knowing you and following you and staring at you is kind of strange, you know, and I probably had the most experience of that in Vegas. Oh, wow. Because you, when you worked in Vegas, you were pretty much, you know, in the hotel and people that are staying at the hotel Mm-hmm. would see you in the shows. And I think one of the weirdest experiences I had was I was lying by the pool in my swimsuit and I had been reading my book and then I had put my paperback book next to me on the pavement. And I'm suddenly, I have my eyes closed. I'm suddenly kind of aware that there's shadow over me oh, no. and I hear dripping and I open my eyes and there's like a family standing around me. Oh God. I'm on this chase lounge in my swimsuit. It was very weird. And they're like, Hey, we saw you last night. You were really funny. And I'm like, thank you. And I'm th- all I'm thinking is please don't drip on my book. I have a book yeah. laid down. Please don't sure. drip on my book. Sure. But, uh, but I thought, oh, that's so weird. I'm just lying here in my swimsuit, which is pretty much, you know, my underwear. You know, your swimsuit is just you're not dressed, sure. basically. And to have people just kind of crowd around you while you're just yeah. <laughs> weird. And I remember thinking that day, I thought, yeah, I see this differently than I used to. I don't, I don't like people kind of skulking around like that. Yeah. I do like people... Uh, coming up to me and saying things, you know, I do like, you know, the compliments and encouragement, but that kind of strange surrounding you somewhere where you're vulnerable is a very weird feeling. At that time, but, uh, at that time were you, it just makes a thought, a question occurs to me, were you drawing upon sort of the, I don't know, satirizing is the word, but maybe having fun with or criticizing some of the religious conservative background stuff, or did you get into, I mean... You know, I did a little bit because I would talk, but it was like, I did jokes uh, that I thought that, and I didn't plan them this way, but this is just kind of how they came out, and then I guess eventually I did kind of plan them this way, Mm -hmm. that uh, jokes that were, you could laugh whether you believed anything or you could laugh if you believed everything. Right. So I would make jokes about how we celebrate Easter, you know, what better way to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus than with marshmallow chicks and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> and uh, just, but it's funny, even that you you could, depending on the crowd, get a mixed reaction because they're thinking, is she making fun of us? Or is, mm-hmm. so, it's funny because only in the last few years have I been talking more about that more directly. And I've also done that in this little comic 
uh, series I'm doing, uh, and I've printed it, but I'm also doing it online, and it's called Jesus Freak, Losing My Religion. That's fantastic. And it's basically really, about how— Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad raised. that you mentioned that. Because we want to, we want to help promote that when the, when the episode airs, and make sure people get a copy of it. Oh, Jesus yes, Freak, right. Jesus Freak, losing my religion that, sounds like a. It sounds like it could be a name of a rock album too. You know, maybe a little bit, but maybe <laughs> yeah, losing yes, my religion. Um, so yeah, so you, so I, I'm sure you, when you write write this, this is really an accomplishment to write a personal comic series like that. But I'm sure you were drawing about your experiences performing in places like Missouri and in the South, and I don't know Georgia. I'm, just, I'm sure um, must have played a role too, right? You're kind of the all over the place. And I started comedy in Kansas City, but I moved to Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. So I started in Kansas City, Missouri, and then I moved to Denver, Colorado. So I consider Denver and Kansas City my comedy home. Oh, okay. And then I was pretty much traveled a lot. I did some TV stuff back then, evening at the improv and all that oh, stuff oh. that everybody did, comedy on the road and all that. Right. And um, then I found out about, yeah, there was, uh, I found out that people were doing Christian comedy. Oh. They were doing comedy in churches and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, I guess that makes sense for me to do that because I was a Christian back then. Mm-hmm. And um, I still like Jesus. I'm just not into the whole uh yeah the whole religion uh construct so much i guess but um i mean not to get i got involved with an organization that was really doing a lot of christian comedy but i got really turned off through that organization from that whole world because it was very very evangelical which i'm not anymore and wasn't then even before i got less religious which is what i am now um, uh, but I, I, I got really I turned say, off by the business of it and I stuff. Should, I should, I should interject because I, I, you know, certainly I, I draw a big distinction between, you know, Jesus, uh, the Christ, you know, and, 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 you know, whatever that may or may not mean is certainly significant and the religions that call themselves. I mean, that's all. The, yeah. It's like a brick wall between, um, I guess Nietzsche calls it uh, well, not just Nietzsche, but uh, historical Christianity. Uh, yeah, which is which is just like the history of the church and different churches, which is a, you know, which of course is a mixture of the good and the bad. Sometimes sometimes more bad than good, and and but then there's of course there's a personal faith, which is very which is you know, which is everybody's right and pri- private matter. But when you when you're dealing with an organization like you know, Christian comedy, I'm sure they had rules and had kind of all kinds of you know. I'm sure you encountered that, right? The, 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 the yeah, and they, I, I would say it's funny because I left them as much as they left me because once they found out I was pro-choice, they didn't want to have anything to do with me. Like, yeah. and um, I have friends in that world, you know, who, I have friends who still do comedy at churches and, um, you know, I've had more than one of them tell me they pretend not to be pro-choice because they would lo- lose church work. Sure. And I said, well, you know, I said, for me, I don't want to deceive people. Like, if it's important to somebody, yeah. if it's yeah. important to a church that they have somebody who's not pro-choice, Mm-hmm. then I don't want to pretend, I don't want to deceive them. I mean, let them hire who they want to hire. You know what I mean? If they, And I think it's important mm-hmm. to 
to be honest with them about, I don't want to misrepresent myself. Sure. Of course. Just because I, I would be a really good fit otherwise for the gig at a church, you know, um, I don't want to pretend to be something I'm not just so they'll book it because I, I think that's deceptive. You know, I just don't believe like that, but, um, but it's interesting. It was a very kind of, I got mostly turned off because of the philosophy, like all that prosperity gospel stuff, you know, where, well, that was, and all that that was the era that was right. The hot spot when this stuff was getting really big. And kind of like that's I, that that era, sort of late seventies through nineteen ninety two, ninety three. That, of course, it's big now, but that's when it was really get, kind of emerging. I think you know. And yeah, that was before. Of course, that was know. years and years before I got involved with these people. So it had it was pretty established by the yeah. time I had you know tried to be in that organization. But yeah. I'm I'm happy as a clam not to be connected to that anymore, and yeah. and just glad to do comedy i just like to make people laugh and um i I, it's a funny thing because the business is really tough and especially now with uh there's a lot of things that are so much easier than when i started and one of uh, some of those things just you know the use of the internet and tiktok and all that stuff makes everything so accessible it makes it easy for people to find you it makes it easy to present yourself to people but the other thing is is, you know two sides of the same coin it's a big burden it's very hard you know creatives have to spend so much time now in self-promotion and that's Mm -hmm. something like i've i've put it down on my calendar like social media posts you know, I have to take care of that almost daily, if not daily. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's something that the introvert in me, I probably should do more TikTok videos that are me talking to the camera and stuff. Mm-hmm. I have a tendency to just post like, here's me drawing, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, look at me, I'm doodling. Watch this. It reminds me to ask you how you, if, if juggles, maybe not the right word, but you, you have these two careers, dual careers, and you are... From my view, a fine, fine illustrator and, and, and drawer. Thank artist. you. And, and, you know, as our logo, this is fantastic logo you made for us. How are you able to, to juggle or, or you know, it seems like, uh, but I guess one way is to do videos of you doing drawing, right? Or doing, doing um, is one way, maybe. Well, and it's funny because, like, I just had my third it's my fourth book with Andrew Smith publishing but it's my third coloring book that just released a few weeks ago okay. and it's called Zen Coloring and my name is it's Teresa Roberts slogan is the name on the <laughs> thing so laughing redhead is all my social media and my hair is actually white now I've let That's it right. go white and I may go back to red hair. We don't know, but yeah. this is kind of easy. So I'm just all white hair and scary looking right now. Um, and I don't mean it's scary looking to have white hair. It's just yeah. I have my hair kind of stiff and spiky, and it looks mm-hmm. like I'm scared. It looks like I just was scared. Um, yeah. But uh, I really do love drawing, and it's one of those things, like, um, I've had people say to me, you need to choose, you need to choose between this and that. and. Yeah. I don't know. That's like saying choose, you know, uh, you know, kind of thing. I can't, why should I have to choose? So I do love doing cartoons. I submit cartoons a lot to different things. And 
did greeting cards for years and mm-hmm. I just I have a natural thing with that. I like doing cartooning. I love doing ink drawing. I also love painting, which mm-hmm. I've been doing smaller works the last few years, but I'm fixing my basement so I can get back to my big paintings and collages again. That's for me, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I love uh, doing the cartoons and comedy. It's a discipline of writing and writing for page and writing for stage are two different things, but I do have it in my habit where work habits are, you know, I write every day. I, I do write every day and I draw every day. So it's, it's, it's kind of, is connected and then it's all kind of interconnected. And um, I actually, at this point, do know a handful of people that do cartooning and comedy and, you know, so that's kind of neat. Well, I know I do know that many cartoonists have become comedy writers, and there's a, certainly a con- connection there. Illustrate. Yes, yes, yeah, I think that's true. But I, uh, I felt like fascinating to me that you, you're doing um, as, you, as you're moving along in your, in your career, uh, and you're getting doing television and doing things like that. Are you? What kinds of things are you? I don't know if adding is the word or or changing in your humor at, at those times. Like what things you started talking about, or or just any anything that you know. Well, you know what I used to and talk about when I first started. I talked about my weight a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I think I talked about my body, and I probably just had a self consciousness. And now it's hilarious because I weigh so much more than I did then, but. Mm-hmm. Now I'm kind of like, I've referred to it a couple of times, but it's more like, I don't care if this is who I am. Like, you know, I've matured enough that, uh, you know, and I watch young comics still do certain things where like they spend so much time trying to convince you they don't care about something and you realize that's really what they care about, you know, and Mm -hmm. I I feel like that, you know, you just go through that in your 20s, you know, when you're getting up in front of people and, you know, especially if you're single and there's just a whole other different subject matters. And I try to talk about, um, I don't know, I talk about things in my life too, but I also talk about, you know, um, just things that everybody would have in common. I sometimes refer to stuff in the news, you know, it's just observational. Sometimes it's just weird stuff that comes to my head. So I do keep a notebook with me all the time. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like I'm working on a bit right now about, um, the weirdness of, you know, when you take certain medications, how they tell you not to eat grapefruit, you know, with it. And so I'm working on a bit about that. And I'm like, you know, so here's a super healthy, it's a fruit. What's going to happen? Is my head going to explode? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? Is my skin going to peel off? Like, what is the worst? I'm eating grapefruit and taking a pill. What's the worst thing that could happen? You know, I'm just so, I'm thinking about that. Like, I was, again, I was looking at a warning on something. Like, don't take, don't have grapefruit with this. And I thought, this is so weird. It's like, they treat it like it's kryptonite or something. Mm-hmm. So, so like you know this I, they treat it like it's pop rocks and seltzer remember pop exactly rocks and Coke, or what mentos you know what is it mentos that they put in it like yeah. the gum you know and it explodes yeah, the bottle that's, right. that's what i keep thinking is it like am i gonna just 
turn into a pile of foam? Am I going to turn into sea foam like in the hand, like the little mermaid in the hands of Christian Anderson? Mm-hmm. They, <laughs> she turned into sea foam right. and joined the daughters of the air. I always remember that. But anyway, that's my favorite book when I was a kid, but it was so sad. Mm-hmm. The, the real little mermaid story is so right. sad, but I always loved it. But I always loved that she turned into sea foam and joined the daughters of the air. That's what I was thinking. I was like, is that what happens when you eat grapefruit and you take that medication? Do you turn into sea foam? But, um, uh, or explode like a zombie in a movie or something. I'm just always like, what is the worst thing that could happen? I'm sure there's some chemi- chemical, medical, scientific reason you're not supposed to, but, you know, I'm going with the comedy. I'm going with the comedy on that one. But so I just keep a notebook full of stuff. And, and so I talk about weird stuff like that. I talk about death a lot. I like talk, you know, that had a lot of that to deal with in the last few years and I just hmm. you know that's something people relate to I remember uh, well it's it's, one, it's one, really something people get closer to as time with every minute right I mean at least at least that's what I've what I've been told or that's what I've yeah right yeah and I remember doing a set like one of my first sets after COVID and um I, I was doing a set in New York and I thought well I just did 10 minutes about death and and I got a lot of laughs and I thought, you know, it's, it is funny sometimes the things that you think are going to be the hardest things to broach in comedy are the very things you should be talking about. You know, religion and death and politics and the things that are harder for us to deal with. I feel like that and brings status. us together in a lot of ways. Status is a big taboo too, right? Status and you know, class and... Certainly. Yeah, definitely. Money. I mean, just talking about all those things and relationships mm-hmm. that are uh, that are hard for people. And and I do think that when people come to a comedy show, usually they're wanting to laugh. I mean, they are. They're always wanting to laugh, but a lot of times they're seeking a mini vacation from whatever's going on in the outside world. Sure. So saying that, I'm not saying you shouldn't talk about things that are important, like politics and stuff. I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying we need to talk about them in a way that lets us think about them, but also gives people maybe perspective, mm-hmm. maybe a little vacation in the way that they can think about it differently than maybe they did before. Mm-hmm. And I also think that when people come to a comedy show and any, like in any crowd, everybody's dealing with stuff. Everybody in the crowd, you know, there's people out there that they lost someone to suicide. There's someone else dealing with depression. Sure. There's somebody else who just got a bad diagnosis. There's mm-hmm. someone else whose kid is having a lot of trouble in school, mm-hmm. you know, and people have a lot, people are carrying a lot. And I think just remembering that, that we're all human. And even the people that tick you off the most mm-hmm. in traffic or in politics mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, there's a lot of pain out there, and I feel like comedians can give people uh, a respite in a way. Like, mm-hmm. you, you can make people laugh. You know, you can. it's a real gift to be able to make people laugh. And, um, and I'm really happy to do it. You know, it's funny because I had taken a big break for a few years mm-hmm. for um, some different reasons for, um, as I said, deaths and moving and all kinds of stuff that happened kind of within a period of time. Mm-hmm. And I've been getting back into comedy in the last couple of years. Uh, well, since pandemic, basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
I had this opportunity come up where I sent a video. They were looking for a comedian, uh, a female comedian to do 10 minutes in front of Ardell O'Hanlon, who is a very famous Irish stand-up comic and actor. Mm-hmm. He's really great. Yep. And I, long story short, I got the gig, and he was just delightful, and his wife and the woman who booked the show and I have become friends. Like there, It was just a great experience, and it was a benefit for the Ireland Institute here in Pittsburgh. And he told me, he said, and and it was funny because I thought, how funny is this that I'm opening for somebody from Dublin? Well, during the pandemic, I had found a plane ticket for just, you just can't believe how low the price was. And Dublin has been on my bucket list. And my husband had said, you know, you really should just just buy that ticket and plan the trip. You should just do that. I'm like, I don't know. Will I have enough money in it? You know, I'm doing all that. He's like, do it. Make it work. You'll, You'll be able to do it. Mm-hmm. So I bought this low price ticket, and then months and months later, I get this gig opening for a comic from Dublin. I thought that was so funny. Well, after the show, he said, "Here, you need to call this person while and get a set while you're in Dublin." Mm-hmm. And so I flew. So I went. This was just a couple of weeks ago. So I flew over to Dublin. So the only night she had was Wednesdays, and I was only going to be there one Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And so. I flew all night, got to Dublin at 8 in the morning, and had a show at 8 that night. (laughs) And it was a blast. I mean, they were super friendly, great audience. The comics were hilarious, and they were super friendly and supportive and Mm -hmm. did all that great comedy stuff, like, came up after and were like, you were great. That was so funny. And, you know, it was just, it was so great. I mean, and it was just kind of surreal but awesome you know what I mean I'm like I can't believe I'm doing comedy in Dublin I'm so excited yeah, I mean it's a it's a dream for you and it's great I mean it's and, and it's deserved deserved I mean it's um I'm uh well, it makes me think really about different kinds of audiences because you mentioned also that you were just in New York recently and I mentioned how are New York audiences different <laughs> Then say uh, Georgia, Georgia audiences or Denver, Colorado. Or if, 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 you know, that's funny because I'm trying to think if I have, I guess I, I have done comedy in Georgia, but it's been a while. But, uh, okay, so first of all, Colorado audiences are super wonderful, open, ready to laugh. Uh, okay. Some of the easiest as far as being a comedian, some of the easiest, best, they're with you on the spot crowds. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. And after I had done years on the road in the Midwest, you know, going to every little bar, every little whoever wanted to have a comedy night, and most mm-hmm. of the places weren't comedy clubs. You know, they were just, you were kind of in the way almost, and people were sometimes watching a game that they would turn off and then they would introduce you, you know, know, be like, what? Um, But that was great training uh, working the Midwest Mm -hmm. was great training because you had to really learn to work with different audiences. And I think that's important and audiences are different all over New York audiences. Every time I've ever performed in New York, I've just had a great time. I've Mm -hmm. just had a great time. I've worked at different places in New York and, um, Mm -hmm. well that, and so I guess I've worked 
a lot of places in the country, a lot out west and in the Midwest. About, not as much down south, even though I'm from the from south, because I didn't I didn't do comedy when I lived in the south. Interesting. You know? that, yeah, that all came after. I, I left the south to go work for Hallmark. Um, so I moved to the Midwest from the south, and that's it's when amazing, I started it's comedy. It's amazing to me working... I want to circle back to the home hallmark thing because you you clearly have have skill and I'm just wondering I'm somebody that can barely I can't draw I've done other shows with artists and I can uh, stick figures I don't you know I have no perspective at all someone like yourself who's really skilled in that is that something that you just out through just time and work or did it start early or what what um you understand my question so you to get- yeah so well I think I always I always knew I wanted to be an artist when I grow up, grew up. And I drew when I was a little kid, I always drew. And I remember my first comic book I did was, I did was called Snobby Models. And it was because I always felt that's what the women look like in magazines because they all had their noses in the air and they looked unfriendly. So I used to draw these women with their noses in the air. But it's mainly because I wanted to sit and draw paisley dresses. I like drawing paisleys all the time, yep. which is funny because one of my coloring books now is a paisley coloring book. Oh, wow. But I loved drawing. And when I was a kid, I remember everybody drew. You know, everybody drew. Oh, and then, then you just one day, I remember this. I remember looking around and thinking, why isn't everybody still drawing? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, enough people get discouraged. You know, enough people mm-hmm. get told that, that doesn't look like a tree and they stop, you know, um, which is sad to me. I think a lot more people should continue art, even if it's not what everybody told you it should look like. You know, you should just make art for for fun, for art's sake, to play with art supplies, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I... How I do work on it. I do work at it and on it. Like I, I draw for hours every day and have for decades, you know? And so I hope, uh, I'm always there. I am the worst critic of my work. There's so many things I want to be better at, but I, I do love it. And I do want to always get better at it. I love, I love it. It's fun to draw goofy little cartoons and it's fun to do mix colors and it's I love art supplies and I do wish more people wouldn't be discouraged out of it you know that's the way the world is but it's it's a sad it's a sad thing I wish more people would make art make mm-hmm. it would make them happier well that's certainly a, a, a something that needs to be said on this podcast in particular so I'm glad you said that just now that's a that's a yeah very much so very much in agreement with that everybody needs an anchor in life you me just everybody anchor made this whole show possible i'm immensely grateful to them you too can use anchor to make your own shows and create your own vision download the anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started and there's so many different kinds of art you can do. I mean, there's not just one type. And I I usually encourage people to just go buy some art supplies and just start doing something and don't judge it. Just do it. Just, mm-hmm. you know, and that hopefully that will open up. Mm-hmm. That opens you up, you know. But I'm sorry. I think I interrupted you. I, didn't I was that. just wondering about you 
you had done worked in television. Um, I'm just w- wanted wondering a little bit more details about that. Was that did you go to Los Angeles and do clubs there or? Well, I did, you know, it's funny. I did the shows that I did, they shot in um, Colorado and Los Angeles. Like I did Evening at the Improv. I was thinking about this because Bud Friedman of the Improv just died last week. Oh, wow. And it was the funniest thing because I was thinking about that show that we shot out there, Evening at the Improv, and the host of the one that I did was Charles Shaughnessy who's the guy that mm-hmm. starred on The Nanny, that show, you know, with yeah, Fran Drescher. Right. And so the other day I was just thinking, I wonder what he's doing. And I had talked to him uh, backstage because he was from England and we had a dear friend who was an, a theater actor in England. And I said to him, I had asked him, uh, do you know Tony Church? You know, like everybody in England knows everybody in England, you know? And he said, I do, I do, actually. He knew a friend of ours. He knew a dear friend of ours. He goes, oh, my goodness, he's a great Royal Shakespeare Company actor. And I was like, yeah, he's a good friend of ours. So so I'm thinking of how nice, so after I heard Bud Friedman died, I was thinking how nice he was. He was very nice and, and you know, just a legend in comedy. And then I'm thinking, I wonder what ever happened to Charles Shaughnessy. So a couple of days I've been thinking about Charles Shaughnessy. So I, I opened my computer to watch a show and I just hit hit play and it's this show, it's one of those most terrifying places on earth shows. Oh. And it's this medium and she's like, Now we're going to go into Shaughnessy Castle and here's Charles Shaughnessy. It was the weirdest coincidence of like of course, you know, I don't I'm not sure I believe in coincidence. But it was so funny because I was I've been thinking about him for a couple of days. I opened my computer I turn it on, and they're at Shaughnessy Castle with Charles Shaughnessy. What are the chances? Anyway, that was a long, boring story, wasn't it? I'm no, sorry. That was, that not, was, that, not that he's boring or that that's that that boring. Was, that was clearly destiny, right? I mean, that was... A, <laughs> yeah, I believe in that stuff. Well, this is an example. I love it. Uh, Charles Shaughnessy. What, what would you want to tell audiences about him that comes to you? I mean, it's hard to really... Or Bud Friedman, or... Uh, Anything you want to talk about, your feelings about what they contributed or did or uh, time? Well, you know, Bud Friedman, like, I didn't know him well like a lot of comedians did. I just knew him from my one experience going and shooting Evening at the Improv. And Mm -hmm. he was just as nice as he could be and as encouraging as he could be. And he made a point of the way they shot the show he was very visible in the audience and well lit and they would shoot him. And I remember, I remember being so thrilled that on my tape that he was, they had shots of him laughing hard during my set. Um, And I was really happy about that, but he was encouraging in that way. Like he didn't go skulk away and not present. He would sit out front and laugh heartily at everybody, you know, which, was and then of course he made so many careers, you know, in LA and stuff. But um, so I did that. I shot a couple of TV things out in uh, LA. This one video called "Thou Shalt Laugh," which was for the Christian market. I know that sold really well. Um, and uh, and that was a big, that was a nice big shoot. You know, it was a big production. 
I think Warner Brothers did that one. But I've uh, done different things in different places and clubs, you know, different TV things. And they're all different experiences. Some of them are very fun and supportive and some are like you're kind of battling egos backstage. And mm-hmm. um, But you just have to always focus um, on your set. Like I, I was at this one club within the last several years and there were some comics that were like just – being mean to each other basically and they had all this drama going on that I didn't know about I was ignorant of it and when I got to the club uh the person that had booked the show was really spreading and saying I'm sorry about all this stuff going on and I said what I I didn't know anything about that and she was like, well, I'm, I'm just really, you know, they're just here. Everybody's intimidating. Right. And I said, you know what? I, I don't really care. I'm just going to get up and do my set. You know, and that's what I did. I just right. feel like you just, I, I can't be in the drama with y'all. And mm-hmm. I don't know what that all is going on. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I told her, I said, you run a great show. Don't worry about that. And I'm not worried about it at all. I said, I'm just going to get up. I'll do my set. And I got up and did my set, and it was fine. I came off stage. I was fine. And I thought, man, y'all, comedy's hard enough without people being mean to each other. Like, let's support each other and uh, make comedy just better and better art. It's just, it's a really unique thing to get to do. Um and, and I think that was one of the things when I went to Dublin that I was so thrilled about. Like, the comics were great, and they were super friendly and super supportive and complimentary, and the audience was just awesome. Like, they laughed really hard at everybody, and it was a really great time. Um, so, the, And that was the oldest. It was the Comedy Cellar. Oh. at the International Bar, and it was uh, the, it's the oldest running comedy club, continual running comedy club in Dublin. Yeah. Well, it's, that a, was fun. it's world famous. That's a, that's a very, uh, that's a very prestigious room. You know, it was fun. It was really wonderful. Um, let me see. I'll tell you. I have, I've worked with a lot of famous people and, and most of them have been very super nice. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I mean, comedy, I think comics really respect other comics mm-hmm. uh, deep down, even, you know, for the most part, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of jerks and stuff, but for the most part, comics really, really want other comics to do well. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, and and you get respect. Like when somebody knows you do comedy, you get instant respect on certain levels. Well, sorry, I'm taking a drink because my throat is going. What? You got to do it. Um, okay. All right. I'm back. I'm back. You, you have <laughs> You're still here. You haven't left. I just, um, you know, my limited under. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I guess I, you know, I follow certain comedians, and I, you know, the only. Knowledge I have of comedians relating to each other is because there's been so many streaming shows about comedy relationships, like Peter Holmes' uh, show where he has fellow comics on the show, and Sarah Silverman will be talking, and they'll invent you know fictional scenarios where you know Mark Maron or somebody right, and so and so that's my only. But I often wonder when I watch those shows are descriptive if that's pretty much how it is with comedians, and I, I always thought. I always sense real camaraderie. Like there's, they, they talk about things that they do in their Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it really is. And there's a book I just read that I am loving. Well, I'm still reading it, actually, and I'm rereading it. Um, and it's called The Tao of Comedy mm-hmm. by Bobby Oliver. And she's uh, she's from the South, and she grew up in the South, and she moved to L.A., and she has this comedy studio called Dow Comedy Studio. Mm-hmm. And she's just, uh, she's so right on with the book. And I think since you're so interested in comedy and anybody that's interested in comedy and the mechanics and the art of it, like the art and the craft of it, um, I think it was a great book for anybody to read. And here I am, the seasoned comic, and I have been reading it and just, I feel like it has really refreshed me in a way. Mm-hmm. But it also is so right on, like the stuff she knows and says and talks about in comedy and the things mm-hmm. that you need to know. You know, there's little things comedians do mm-hmm. that the audience doesn't realize, you know, things that you have to do from stage that, um, like, there's one thing I always do, and she talks about this, which is when you get on stage, take the mic out of the stand and move the mic behind you because it's in the way, basically. And I know some comics like to use the stand and stuff, but it really is like a little wall between you and the audience. So I always get that out of the way as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. It's a way of saying, I'm here now, I'm taking I'm taking the stage. You know, it does that. Another thing I learned early, early on mm-hmm. uh, was anytime you get heckled, um, repeat into the microphone what the heckler said. Because <laughs> if you don't, the audience, you know, the people who didn't hear this person saying stuff to you, yeah. they think you've just started in on somebody, mm-hmm. you know, if you respond at all. Most of the time you try to ignore them as much as you can if they're not disturbing other people. Mm-hmm. And that's when you realize you have to handle it as if it's if it's distur- if it's calling attention right. away from you and it's interrupting other people's experience of the show, you have to deal with it. But I learned early on you don't you don't just start back at somebody because then the audience, like the people in the back think, why did she just start going after that guy? You know what I mean? And then they lose sympathy for you, you know? Yeah, you're trying to gain them on your side. You're trying to to create a a bond with the audience. Yeah. Yeah. And you're always, you know, and you want them to go like, you want them to be on your side in that situation too because you're like, this guy's messing with our show. Let's not let him mess with our show kind of thing. You know what I mean? But, um, you, know, you know, did I answer your question? I mean, I think you had a question and then I started talking and talking no, and no. talking. <laughs> well, it kind of relates because I was just wondering about, well, certainly um, you're sharing you're sharing now things that comics do. I was just wondering because I'm, a, you know, if you're a comedian, it's, it's similar to what I do because I'm a, I'm a jazz musician. I'm a pianist, right? And I, and I know, as you know, there's probably this connection, right, between stand-up comedy and musical improvisation, right, and jazz. I've, I've often wondered about that. What do you think about that connection? Or does my- I think, well, you know, I, I think if for me to comment on that, I'm probably, we're probably presuming I know more about jazz than I do. But I do think it's just that uh, 
you do play with the audience and their mood and and feed off of uh, their energy. Mm-hmm. And the audience is very important. You know, the audience uh, being there and responding is very important. And you can, you know, there are audiences that are more hostile. Like I remember when I was starting out in Vegas and, uh, and I know it still happens and you literally can see men lean back in their chairs and cross their arms when you walk out. They're so disappointed it's a woman on stage. Mm-hmm. I remember telling the other comics in Vegas that was happening and they said, oh, that's just your imagination. I said, you watch tonight. I want you to watch the audience when I walk on stage. And they said, yep, the men do that. And you have not all men, but, you know, you have a lot of people that have baggage with having a, a woman up there. And, um, I have watched it change, though, so much, like what I've seen with what women do on stage now and don't put up with and stuff. And it's a it's a good new era in that way, I think, for women comics and also the things that they speak up for themselves about. And I do feel like the audience, though, is it, it is a give and take. Like, the audiences that are listening to your words and laughing and going with you weird places in your head, they get a better show than anybody because you will try your new stuff with them. The audiences that are uptight, that don't, that are kind of fearful or won't go with you on tangents, they won't listen or won't whatever, they don't get as good a show. And that every, you know, I guess that's everybody's fault, but you, you have the audiences that are with you and going, you throw them so much more and so many more, um, new tangents and, and new bits. And, uh, oh my goodness, if they laughed at that, they're going to like this new thing I wrote about grapefruit. You know what I mean? <laughs> you get, they get more because they're, they're riding with you. They're flowing with you, you know? Um, and I don't know, isn't that relate in the same way? I mean, this kind of, um, yeah, yeah. You, you know, well, if you're a comedian, you're you know, it's it's a sp- space um, on stage where you're you're being yourself and your interiority is being exteriorized, right, for the world to see. So that's in way, true. In a way, it's kind of there's a sacredness to it, and there's also a kind of a um, a power in it. It's it's really a great art form. I mean, I I really do think I really do feel stand up comedy is one of the great art forms. And I think it, it has, you know, very old, ancient roots, you know, going back probably to, I'd imagine, the first storytellers, you know, and, 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 other, and older societies, right? And sort of interesting, yeah, I think. I think, yeah. It is, and it's funny because, you know, doing cartooning, like I said before, you know, page and stage are two different things. You know, when you're, when you're writing for a greeting card, say, you've got to do everything you can so that the punchline inside is read and imagined the way it needs to be. You know, you can Mm -hmm. underline things and capitalize words. And when you're on stage, you can do that with your voice. You emphasize Mm -hmm. with your voice and you can emphasize the things you need to emphasize. Um, And you just have to do it differently in cartooning and in greeting cards and in books. And if you're, you know, if you're writing like a prose humor thing, if I'm writing a humorous essay or something, mm-hmm. it's a diff- it's a different kind of approach. You know, there's just um, 
but most people I know that are professional humorists, I don't know if that's the best word, professional humorist sounds so medical, but, uh, you know, most of us know the difference and can uh, be pretty nimble between the different forms of humor and how to convey it. But they are all different. You know, they are all different. Do you want to say some more about those differences? Not just page and stage, but performing and non-performing, but also uh, different in terms of uh, how much time you have in a, in a set or, or, you know, things like that. Yeah. It was, well, it's funny. So, like, with cartoons, I'm one of those people, like, I'm a big kind of, I'm a Thurber fan. You know, I like Thurber and yeah. Steig and, you know, these guys. And, and I really like, but I also like, like Charles Edward, Charles Edwards, Charles Adams, and Edward Gorey. Oh, yeah. So those are my two kind of different ends of where I like, and I love Linda Berry. Mm-hmm. She's kind of in the mi- middle there for me, and I'm talking style-wise, not who I prefer. Right, right. Because she does scenics and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, Thurber did minimal line work. I love that. I like I like Stig and um, mm-hmm. and Thurber because they'll make four marks and it's a cartoon and I love mm-hmm. that and I like to be more minimal with mine. Yeah. But then again, I'm crazy about Charles Adams and Edward Gorey and I like doing like really detailed sort of things. So you just kind of choose when you're doing cartooning. Even you choose like, is this going to be funnier if I do a big illustrated scene or is it going to be just as funny and more to the point if I eliminate all the noise mm-hmm. and just do a few lines right. and the facial expression and the words and boom, it's done. Yeah. So I kind of prefer minimalism if I can go there as far as my gag cartoons, which are single panel cartoons. Okay. Um, when I'm drawing, I like to do a whole bunch of lines and stuff like that. But when I'm cartooning, I kind of like to edit it back as far as I can. I really do like you know, the less, I don't want to see a huge scene necessarily unless that's part of the joke. You know what I mean? I like whatever gets the joke across the best way. And when, when you're on stage, like, it's funny, like still, I've done as much as 90 minutes on stage, which I don't think is the best. Yeah. I, I, I advise 45 to 50 minutes, you know, uh, for the best headlining set. Um, because people just get tired by that time, unless you're the only thing on the show. But by that time, if you've had other people up, I mean, that's a long time to ask people to sit and pay attention to jokes, set up punchline tag, you know, all that. Um, so I am doing mostly, it seems like these days, most shows I'm doing are 30, 35 minutes or very short little, I, I do go to open mics now and then to try new stuff. So, okay. um, and those are usually like five to seven minute sets or some of the just little sets around or like 10 minute sets to get new, new stuff out there. But the, um, usually the stuff I'm hired to do most of the time is more like they're chopping it up into more like 30, 35, but I'm not really touring again yet yeah. so much. I'm just, um, trying to get back into that habit, you know, mm-hmm. Coming out of COVID, and so I, you know, I feel like getting back into it that way because I really did take a complete break for that while, and yeah. and I do feel like you have to get your um, getting my chops back. Right. 
Well, that's uh, that's everybody's in a similar boat, I guess, right? Or, or yeah, yeah. So I don't feel that feels fine to me. That just feels like, yeah, that's the way it is. I just feel like everybody's rusty. I mean, coming out of COVID, everybody's kind of like, okay, you know. I know a lot of people did Zoom shows. I know Arnold was saying he did a ton of Zoom shows. I only did a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. So. Well, yeah, that's a way to way to do things. I mean, uh, necessity, you know, and um. Or they used to say by any means necessary, you know, and all that, and kind of yes, yeah, kind of, uh huh. Just how, but uh, however you can get them to see. I just think uh, you know it's funny in, in an era of, of the internet, you can see old material that had been lost from people, and it's really been almost like a, it's going to school in a way. There's almost a you know, there's a so for example on YouTube you can see all of Gabe Kaplan's performances, you know, from the early seventies. The, oh my gosh! Really? Yeah, you know, I mean, those things were not available for twenty, thirty years because they, you had to be, you had to, people had to rely on when a cable station would air it or syndication, you know. But now it's all there. It's funny to see oh, some, wow. of these, some of these old, um, old, old Gabe Kaplan or whatever, Jonathan Winters or any of the, any of those people, you know. They got to, you know. I'm sure. I mean, I've seen all the improv. We probably right now watch your show and improv. Right now. Well, you know what? That is on Amazon. I think those are on Amazon Fantastic. evening at the improv. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to watch myself, though, Uh-oh. but I do videotape as much as I can and then watch and listen because yeah. it does help you improve. But I find it really hard to watch myself and listen to myself because. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of, I don't know, because it's just so, so self-critical. And it was funny because when I was in Dublin, I was talking to one of the um, one of the other comics. And I said, yeah, I said, taping myself. Oh, my gosh. I said, because I'm always like, I can't believe they let me get up there and do that. He said, don't say that about yourself. You know, you deserve to be up there. And I said, yeah, I know that intellectually. But I said, it's just I'm very self-critical. So when I watch... Yeah my tapes and stuff I pick it apart you know and then I'm just like get over it fix it get up again you know sometimes I feel like getting up to do stand-up comedy the very first time is the bravest thing you can do in comedy but then after I went kind of went away and came back because I did stop comedy for a while after my son was born Mm -hmm. and uh but now I think that getting back into comedy is the bravest thing you can do because I was thinking that he's been going with that Dublin that I was thinking this is either crazy or really brave or maybe it's both that I'm going to go do comedy in a country I've never even spent one night in Mm -hmm. and just get up there like I'm funny or something. You know what I mean? And, yeah. <laughs> but you're just kind of like, okay, here we go. I have said I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it. And I did. And it was fine. Uh, but I felt like, man, that's one of the bravest things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. But then just getting back into comedy has been, I think, one of the hardest. Like a friend of mine wrote me and she quit comedy Mm-hmm. Uh, a few years ago uh, to pursue other things in entertainment when she's great at. Um, and she just wrote me this really encouraging note. She says, I know how hard what you're doing is, and I want you to know I really appreciate you. And I was like, thank you so much. It's like, cause sometimes it is like once you've been through a lot of the ringer 
and you're stepping back into the ring. Mm. Sorry to use the ring word mixing metaphors, mm. but uh, it, it, it does. It's it's a brave it's a brave thing. I'm gonna pat all the comics on the back for being brave enough to do it. Well, Teresa Roberts Logan, we're patting you on the back for coming on our show. <laughs> And talking about thank you so much for having me. Well, yeah, because there's these are these things are really important, and of course, um, as we near our conclusion, even good things come to an end. Like this, is there anything you want to say that comes into your consciousness that you want the listener or to uh, remember? Of course, your book, Zen Comic, and Jesus Freak, or anything else you want to talk about oh yeah uh, let me see they can follow G- jesus freak losing my religion is on tapas t-a-p-a-s mm-hmm. uh which is a web comic uh streaming thing so it's um it just go to tapas.com and look up jesus freak or just look up my link tree uh, i'm on social media at laughing redhead and my link tree has all the links and my website is laughingredhead.com and I've got a big project that I've got my fingers crossed for and with my publisher right now. And I'm hoping that comes out, but I can't really talk about it. But I'm when I can talk about it, I will talk about it. Of course. It. Well, you, gotta, <laughs> you know, you know as, as John Waters once said, uh, somebody asked John Waters, you want to talk about a movie you're in production on or pre-production? He says, no, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to hex it. So, you know. That's yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then, of course, the talk show is, but, you know, because you're John Waters, you actually might want your film hacked. But in any event, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say thank you because this has been a delight, and um, I'll make sure to promote these uh, these these books and 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 I thank you for your generosity and your time. Thank you. Thanks so much. I'm so glad to meet you, and I'm so thankful for Laurie, and I'm mm-hmm. so glad you love the logo. That really makes you feel good. I'm glad it has been helpful. Thank you. Good night. Good night. I don't like goodbyes, so I'll see you soon, folks. Thank you. Mm-hmm.